microphone on during the singing of worship. Did you mute that? Because that's probably not going to be good for visitors watching online. Thank you so much. I'll make a noise and it'll be joyful and loud, but that doesn't mean it's going to sound good. Um, We are continuing our yearly review of our mission statement um, that Madison Heights is a refuge for broken people to experience the grace of Christ and express the truth of the gospel. If you were with us last week, we looked at, at a refuge for broken people and we said that our church is a safe place for people like us. Um, if you're visiting, let me tell you what we're like. We don't have it together all the time. We aren't all okay all the time. Um, we are, as the hymn writer said, from time to time, weak and wounded, sick and sore from the differing effects of sin and life. That's us. Uh, if you're looking for the, for the perfect Instagram church, this is not it. And we said that though we're not okay all the time, we get better the more we believe and conform our lives by God's grace to the authoritative word of God. And so we said it's very important that we don't say we aspire to be or we want to be or it's our goal to be or we one day hope to become. No, we are a refuge for broken people. We said in Sunday school last week, it's the ethos. It's, it's the spirit of our culture. And so the air that you breathe here, uh, the feeling, the personality of our church is that of grace. That's why many of you said on your new member survey, why did you pick Madison Heights Church to join? You said because it's not judgmental and it's not condemning and it's not unsafe and it's, it's not the place that you have to come and pretend that you're something that you aren't or that, you, that you're better than you are. Because that's not us. We are and will continue to be a safe place for broken people. Which produces this. The most common word that's used to describe your church is real. It's authentic, right? That's what grace produces in our lives. Authenticity. And that's what makes it a refuge. A safe place for broken people. We know who we are in Christ. We know that we are loved. And so we don't have to pretend anymore. I don't have to make you think I'm something that I'm not. My goal is not to impress you or to outperform you. We're, we're, we, we buried all that stuff a long time ago around here. Y'all, what the gospel makes us is free, right? My daughter um, is super gifted. She can calligraphy and watercolor and all that stuff. And she, she did me a little thing for my office from the Valley of Vision, the Puritan prayer book last Christmas that said this. This is us to a T. I am guilty but pardoned, lost but saved, wandering but found, sinning but cleansed. Right? Now, for the second part of the mission statement, Madison Heights Church is a refuge for broken people to do what? What are we doing here? To experience the grace of Christ and express the truth of the gospel. This is incredibly important as Wally just taught your kids 
personal experience produces an expression based on what we've experienced. It works like this. Um, raise your hand so I know who I'm talking to and who is going to listen and watch through the window. Who has married off one of their kids? Raise your hands. All right, you're about to amen everything I say. Um, after I got done with this sermon, Rod Henderson sent me a three-minute video. You need to go look it up from the late, great Mike Leach. It's not with the sideline reporter. It's in a press conference when he was at Washington State, and he said everything that I said but better. Like, just trust me, it's coming. I remember one of my closest friends, he's 12, 15 years older than I, we did youth ministry together for 15 years when his kids were in our youth group. And um, he called me the day that Emily was getting married. And he started out with the normal things, big day, are you ready tomorrow or today, yada, yada, yada. And then he said something I'll never forget. He goes, did you learn the lessons about your daughter getting married? And I was like, you mean that like from the time they're engaged to the day of the wedding, your entire life gets put on hold and everything is about the wedding? He goes, no, 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 the lessons. I said, what lessons? He said, you know, like the budget. It's an imaginary number. It doesn't truly exist. He said, it's like a vapor. He said, the money you spend on flowers alone will make you think that you've absolutely lost your mind and all sanity whatsoever. And he said, and that you stay out of everything. And if anyone asks you your opinion of everything, the answer at all times is yes, I love it. What do you think about this color invitation? What do you think about this cake? What do you think about these? Yes, 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 yes. And then he said, about 90 days out, your wife is going to become an individual that you do not even recognize. And this is where Mike Leach was so good. He, he added, your wife, your mother's-in-law, the daughter, cousins, every female in your family is going to lose their minds. And he said, don't worry, it's all going to come back about a week after the wedding. And I mean, I am mentally checking all the, he's spot, he's like a prophet. And he said, but when you walk down the aisle with your daughter, you won't think about any of that and it'll all be worth it. And so I, I, I kind of gained my thoughts. I said, let me ask you a question now. Why didn't you tell me any of this? Like, this would have been super helpful if I'm about to get hit by a bus to know it's coming. Why didn't you tell me this? To which he responds, I couldn't. You have to learn it on your own. It's good for you. And then he said this, and even if I told you, you wouldn't have believed me anyway. Y'all, he's absolute. I just gave some of you the answers to all the tests and you're not going to believe it either until it's your turn. <laughs> now when people get engaged, we understand it. And everybody's congratulating the parents and we're like, I am so sorry. <laughs> like, 
we know exactly what you're about to go to through over the next seven or eight months. And you just want to take them to dinner about halfway through and sit down and go, it's all going to be okay. Like we get it. It's fine. It's all going to be okay. Y'all, you don't have the ability to express that kind of empathy unless you've experienced the situation for yourself yet. You can't. (laughs) Now, at our church, we want you to experience something other than the stress of your kids getting married. And we believe you can't give away what you don't have. And so when we say that Madison Heights Church is a refuge for broken people to experience, not the craziness of preparing for a wedding, It's a place to experience grace, a place where you come to experience the undeserved, unmerited favor of God over and over and over again so that you can now give it away in terms of expressing the truth of the gospel, that your sins are forgiven by the grace of God because... Jesus Christ was treated as you should have been. So now the Father treats us as he should be. That's the gospel. Y'all, that's what we long to experience and express to others. That's why we're a refuge for broken people. A safe place because grace reigns here. Let me show you where we got it once again as we continue our study of Luke. If you would take your Bibles and stand together with me out of reverence for both God and this portion of his word. We're going to be in Luke 5, 1 through 11. If you're paying attention, I know you're nervous. I skipped a part of a text from where we were last week. Fear not. We'll jump back to it next Sunday. On one occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. And he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put it out a little from the land. And he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Simon answered, master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish, and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. From now on, you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to have soft hearts this morning to absorb Uh, to be conformed to the message of this text. And so would you grant us that um, so that your son would be glorified in whose name we pray. 
Amen. You may be seated. Obviously, two things I want you to see in the text. The experience of grace and the expression of truth. Notice with me in the first portion, really the, the vast majority of the text, how Peter experiences the grace of Christ. This text is a little different. One day Jesus is teaching and a crowd grows and it starts to get bigger and bigger and bigger. Uh, normally they hear he's in town and they, they come and they bring their sick in order that he would heal them. That's not the case here. These people have come in order to hear him teach. And so as the crowd swells, he's got the, 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 the Sea of Galilee, is, is Gennesaret is another term for that, is behind him. And he keeps having to move back so much that he's about at the water and the crowd keeps pressing. And so behind him are Simon Peter's boat and James and John has a boat. They're in the fishing business together. And so what he's going to do is get on one of the boats and sit after they push it out a little bit and use it like as a floating pulpit. Um, which is exactly what happens in the text. One occasion, while the crowd was pressing in on him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret. He saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of their boats and were washing their nets. So uh, when you got done fishing, they didn't have rods. Um, when you got done, you had to take your nets out and lay them on the ground and let them dry, and you would mend wherever they were broken and get ready to fold them back up and get ready for the next day's fishing excursion. So they're doing what you do if you're a professional fisherman. Getting into one of the boats, which, Simon, which was Simon's, Peter, he asked him to put it out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. Now, to understand Simon's response, you have to think for a second. If it sounds like he's irritated, it's because he is. Um, on this lake, you fished at night because, again, not having rods, you had to throw these huge nets out and then pull them back in, haul them onto the boat to see if you caught anything. Well, you didn't fish during the day because the fish would see the nets. So they fished at night. And you have to imagine how much more difficult hours later it is, you know, the last cast from the first one. Because your net's going to get way heavier. It's going to get wet. Like, this is work. Slinging these things out, pulling them back in. Sling. They've done it all night, and they've caught nothing. And Jesus says, hey, just put your nets out for a catch. All right. In your vocation, it's your job. How well would it go over if someone who knows nothing about your profession gives you suggestions on how you ought to do it. Survey says, not well. Nobody would appreciate that. The first thing you're thinking is, you don't have any idea what you're talking about because you don't know what it's like to do my job, right? That's what Simon is feeling. So the carpenter, who has now become a traveling preacher, is going to tell me, the professional, how to fish. You got to see that to get verse 5. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. Look, I don't want to offend you, but we kind of know what we're doing. They're not biting. We've, we've worked all night long and have caught nothing. 
two votes worth. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And in verse 6, when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and their nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. So obviously, professional fishermen, nobody has ever experienced anything like this. They empty the net into both the boats because there's so many fish and the boats are so full that their boats are now starting to sink. This has never happened. But when Simon Peter in verse 8 saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. Now, that's an interesting change of terminology, if you're paying attention, right? In verse 5, it was master. Now that Peter has seen this miracle, it's depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. When Peter comes into contact with the grace of God, he immediately sees himself as a broken individual before God's holiness, right? He senses his unworthiness and his helplessness and his hopelessness. To which Jesus says, do not be afraid. He comforts him because he knows he's terrified. He's in the presence of divine majesty. If you think about the story, the lake, the fish, everything was created through Jesus And they all obey his intentions. And Peter is putting this together and is undone by it. Now, I'll tell you what else is amazing in the text. Because I know Peter is a lot like me. It's shocking that Peter doesn't go, all right, I got a proposition. We're fishermen. And you know where all the fish are. And they even obey you. So how about this? Instead of us toiling all night, how about you just come down here and meet us like once a week? Like once a month at this and tell us where they are and we'll catch them and we could do like a 50-50 split. Like 60-40, like everybody wins. Yo, we assume that's what, I would be thinking that. But coming face to face with the holiness and the majesty and the grace of Jesus, it's not that. He's undone. And this is so huge. His response is, depart from me. I can't be in your presence. My brokenness, my sinfulness, my unworthiness, I'm asking you pleasantly to go away from me. Y'all, experiencing the grace of God shows us who we really are and that God knows who we really are. And the beauty of the grace of the gospel is that he loves us in spite of that. But the initial response is fear, right? I mean, you can search that throughout the scriptures. 
Like in Genesis 15, when God's going to make a, a covenant with Abraham, this is a huge deal, right? Big deal, celebratory moment for covenantal theology. And what does God start with at the beginning of chapter 15? Abraham, fear not. You know why? Because Abraham's terrified. Being in the presence of the holiness and the majesty of God. Fear not, I am your shield. Your reward will be great. There are several. Let me read you the last one in John 1. Or I'm sorry, Revelation 1, verse 17. This is, this is interesting because John was at this scene that we read in Luke 5. And this is John's response in the vision to Jesus. The one who is walking in and out of the lampstands. He, he has to say the, the same thing. The one whose hairs of his head were white like wool, like snow. His eyes were a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze, refined in a furnace. His voice was like the roar of many waters. In his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword. And his face was like the sun, shining in full strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. This is John's response to Jesus. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not. I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. Don't be afraid. Stop being afraid, Jesus says to Peter. Peter, if the holiness of God in Christ shows us our sin and our real selves that terrify us, and the question is, how does anyone run to him and not from him? And the answer is, of course, because of his grace. Y'all, where else are you going to go in order to deal with your sin and your guilt problem? There is no other stream. You drink from the fountain of living water by faith or you will die of thirst. It's the source of living water himself that invites Peter and invites you and I to come in our brokenness and drink freely by his grace. Which is only when, as R.C. Sproul said, we are no longer to live as fugitives running from him. Here's the beauty of experiencing grace. The more you see who Jesus truly is, the more you will see who you truly are. And experiencing the grace of who he really is will cause you to run and bow before him instead of running away from him. And only grace can produce that. Now, I told them this morning, or in the 8.30, this is a big, a big moment. This is a red letter moment for me. Because I don't have a lot of original thoughts. Uh, I read a lot of commentaries, and I'll... I'll Compile them together and add some illustrations and here's your sermon. And I'm very careful to tell you, 
So-and-so said this, so-and-so said this. I don't remember who said this, but it wasn't me for two reasons. Number one, I don't want to get brought up on charges at the presbytery and lose my job. That would be terrible. Number two, and, and this is lesser than number one, I don't want you to think I'm smarter than I am, which I already know that you know that. I just want to make sure. So when I have an original thought, it's a big deal. And it's going to be simple. Notice what I would call the Peter principle. The more we experience grace, the more we are drawn towards Jesus instead of running away from Jesus. Now here comes the big part. Even after we've blown it. You know where we're going, right? Peter's sort of-ish been around Jesus by this point in the text. Knows who he is, probably heard him a couple of times. Comes face to face with him, the one that he barely knows. Sees the miracle, senses his brokenness, and begs him to depart from him. This is mind-blowing to me. Two years later go by, Jesus experiences, or Peter experiences more and more and more of the grace of Jesus throughout the next couple of years, and it goes from depart from me to this. You, you know on the, on the last night of Jesus' life, he tells Peter, you're going to deny me three times. You know where the grace in that is? Had Jesus not only specified three, it probably would have been 300. On this night, you will deny me three times. They lock eyes in the courtyard after the third denial. Jesus is put to death the following day. A small time later, after the resurrection, here's the denier in John 21, verses 1 to 8. After this, Jesus revealed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he revealed himself in this way. Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, and the sons of Zebedee, so don't miss this, We've got Simon at least and the sons of Devadee who were both in Luke 5 at the beginning are now here at the end in John 21. And two other of his disciples were together. Simon Peter said to them, I'm going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. And they went out and got into the boat. But that night they caught nothing. Sound familiar? Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved, that's John, therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. 
When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in a boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, about a hundred yards off. You tell me this. How did we get from depart from me to even post a threefold denial willing to jump out of the boat and swim to him? The only word that can explain that is grace. experiencing the grace and forgiveness of Jesus will draw you to him and not away from him even after denying him three times. Yo, you can't make that up. Because there's no limit, there's no bottom, there's no edges, there's no ceiling, there's no sides of the wall to the vastness of his forgiveness for his people. Our longing as a church is to experience the grace of Christ over and over and over. Because like with Peter, it's what draws us nearer and nearer to Jesus. So we're a refuge for broken people for us to, to keep Sunday after Sunday experiencing the grace of Christ so that, secondly, we express the truth of the gospel. We're 30 minutes in. Here's the good news. The second point's only a page. Jesus says in response in Luke 5, do not be afraid from now on. You will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. Simon, but we know what it means on, on, the, on, a, on, a, on a first glance level. You're no longer going to be a fisherman. Uh, you're now going to follow me. We get that. But think what else he's saying here. You know, when, when you catch fish, whether you consume them or sell them, they're going to die. Jesus is saying, when you follow me and we catch men, we're fishing for souls that are going to come from death to life. It's already different. With the same relentless pursuit that you sought fish, we're now going to seek souls. And we're going to do that by expressing the truth of the gospel, by proclaiming this gospel of grace, not only with our mouths, but with the entirety of our lives. This lover and forgiver of broken people, of sinners like us. All my trust, all my surety, all my faith is bound up in the finished and accomplished work of Jesus Christ and nothing else. All right, so what does that look like when we say expressing the truth of the gospel? There are two stories in the Bible. I'm not going to have you turn that. I can tell them real quick. Um, the first one is the woman at the well in John 4. You remember her? She leaves Jesus' presence and runs back into town saying, come with me and see a man who told me all that I ever did. 
Okay, you got to rewind. The reason why she's at the well at noon is because she's embarrassed and she's ashamed and she doesn't want to see anybody because she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now isn't even a husband. She's given up on the idea of marriage. I just need a man. Y'all, it's her that's running back into town and saying, come see a man that told me all I ever did. We know what she did. How does she have the freedom to run back and tell it as if it's good news? Come and see a man who told me all I've ever done in this previous lifestyle. It's because she experiences his grace. And so now expressing truth is, I want you too to come and meet this one who knows all you've ever done and still loves you. The second one is the lepers in 2 Kings chapter 7, one of the best stories in the Bible. <laughs> Israel is at war with the Syrians. And um, so imagine, you know, you're a leper, you have to live outside the city. So you can't go inside the city. So one of them says to the other one, hey, I got an idea. Why don't we go over to the Syrian army and see if they have any food? Because I don't know if you've connected the dots. We're going to die anyway. Nothing to lose. Don't even have to pray about it. Okay. So they go. And they reach the camp of the Syrian army and they've all fled. And they've left everything and they start gorging on food and, and they, start, they start taking gold and silver and clothing and, and everything and they're, they're hauling it back and forth. And then, and then suddenly one of them says to the other one, hold on a minute. What are we doing? This isn't right. This is a day of good news. We can't keep this to ourselves. The king and, and the people and, and everybody else has to know. And it's in that text that they become what was the motto of, of Steve Brown's life. Right? It doesn't get any clearer. What do we mean when we say expressing the truth of the gospel? It's simply beggars telling other beggars where we found the bread. That's it. The beggars telling the other beggars, we know where the bread is. We know where the food is. We know what can satisfy the longing in your soul that's making you starve. Y'all, what makes our church a rep, y'all are so good at this. When people come limping in here for the first time and they're all, you know, it's nervous coming to a new church and you're all, what are they going to think? And, Y'all, the spirit, because of God's grace in our church, is this. We don't really care how you got where you are. We don't really care what led up to where you are. And you don't have to explain it to us. You don't have to justify yourself. You don't have to defend yourself because we know this. We know that if God were to remove his restraints from our lives, we'd be right there with you. We know that's in us. And so you're not judged. And you're not condemned. 
And it's why we function as a refuge, a safe place, a shelter of protection. When those fellow travelers limp in here, the spirit is, we're so glad that you're here. Let us tell you where the bread is. We're, we're, we're fellow beggars like us found it. Jesus is the bread of life. He knows everything that you did and everything that we did. And you're not going to believe this, but he atoned from them at the cross and he loves us. He's not ashamed of us. He loves us. And if you are willing to come by faith and have him, you'll find the same thing because of his grace. That's expressing the truth of the gospel. I can tell you all day about what's coming when your kids get married. And you're not going to understand me until you experience it. And you will have empathy then for those that are going through the same thing. And likewise, once you have experienced the grace of Christ, what you then give away is the expression of the truth of the gospel. Madison Heights, this is a day of good news. It is not right to keep it to ourselves. That's why our church exists. First and foremost, a refuge for broken people to experience the grace of Christ and then express the truth of the gospel. He is the sin forgiver and we know where the bread is. May he meet us with such grace at the table for his glory. Amen. Let's pray together. Father, we pray that <clears throat> we pray that the gospel would continue to be so fresh to us that the reason why we wouldn't keep it in in terms of, of expressing truth is because we can't we can't contain it. It'd, it'd be like we're going to explode if we don't get it out in the way that we talk to people, treat people, love people. At work, at school, in the neighbor, everywhere. It's constant. And even in this, even in this building, expressing the truth of the gospel to one another. Would you give us grace to want to express it all the more? To, to see fellow beggars get full, get fat on the grace of Jesus Christ who came for sinners like us. We pray it in his name. Amen. Uh, This is the week we take communion. If you didn't get the elements, you can now. Don't be embarrassed.